I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The COB is presented by Rabobank. Awarded 2023 SMSF Savings Bank of the Year by Mozo. Hello, happy Friday. This is the COB, all the stuff you need to know about the day in business and markets. I'm Juliette Sali. It is the final day of the month. We know September is not often kind to investors. Also, of course, the week and the quarter. So let's have a look at what we have been seeing in terms of uh, some of the, the market themes here, I guess, for investors to really focus in on. It has been this volatile move that we have been seeing and the SIBO 200 price index looking like it is going to close higher by four tenths of one percent. So that's a pretty solid effort. Uh, The ASX 200 up by 27 points as we head into that final match off or a gain of about four tenths of one percent. So not quite the six tenths of one percent gain that we had been uh, predicting when we woke up. But let's have a look at some of the sectors, the miners there. BHP looking pretty good up by one percent on the close. Fortescue and South 32 also rising. Let's have a look in terms of what we saw from some of the energy players, particularly as we've been watching these very volatile moves in oil. Woodside Energy ending down by six tenths of one percent. And uh, most of them are, in fact, in the red apart from Viva, which had a small gain of around two tenths of one percent. And the rate sensitive utility sector, well, mostly higher there apart from AGL, which is off by about a third of one percent. In terms of, of course, what we've been looking at uh, for the overall weekly mood here, we've been looking at the end of the week, month and quarter, as I mentioned, not a good one in terms of uh, the trend for September. And I think Asian stocks actually had, when you look at the MSCI Asia Pacific Index as a whole, their worst quarterly performance in around a year. We've also got these concerns, of course, about the overall US economy. Are we going to see that potential shutdown with both the House and Senate unable to come to an agreement on their spending plans. I think something like 72 hours for them to get an agreement. If they don't, then we will see that shutdown and that could furlough hundreds of thousands of workers and also stop things like economic data, nutrition benefits. So one to certainly watch, particularly after we had the Republican presidential debate President Trump was a no-show, but still looking like the Republican contender there. And of course, the RBA is in focus for us next week for October. Pretty much main consensus is a nothing burger. That is the technical term for October. But we could, in fact, see a rate move in November when we get that quarterly CPI print that will come through 
in October. All right, let's look at have some of the corporate news. And uh, we've been seeing takeover target Liontown Resources revealing another cost blowout at its Kathleen Valley Lithium project near Leinster. The company now estimates the project will cost $951 million. That's up from a revised $895 million estimate in January this year. Liontown says the Kathleen Valley project is on track to commence its first production of spodumene by mid-2020. 2024 and Liontown also said that due diligence excuse me was ongoing regarding Albemarle's 6.6 billion dollar takeover tilt of the company shares closing lower by about 1.3 percent but of course quite a small move there when you only see a four cent uh, decline all right the stock of the day core lithium The outlook has definitely improved if if you just see that this company gradually advancing with its plans to become sustainable. So that's a big factor. And yeah, just generally, I guess it's still a lithium speculation. It could go up or down based on factors outside of its control. Uh, but they maintained their FY24 production guidance. So I suspect maybe some shorts were there thinking that, that was a little bit lofty and the company may have to downgrade. Um, they've maintained that, had a, a nice price uh, uh, spike on the price. Um, and yeah, I think you've been through the worst as, as someone holding the stock if you've held it for the last couple of years. I, I don't know enough about it to, for someone on the sidelines whether you should come in and buy it today. But yeah, I think for the purpose of the program, it's a pretty happy hold, yeah. All right, let's get an economic and market update and an overview of the key developments of the past week and what's to come. I mentioned the RBA. Shane Oliver, AMP's chief economist, joins me now. Shane, we made it to the end of September. As the song goes, wake me up when September ends. Um, let's just get your read, though, on, on what we saw in the data this week with those retail sales uh, and, of course, the inflation picture and whether or not that moves the needle for the RBA next week. To be honest with you, I don't think it does. I know a lot of uh, attention has been focused on the fact that the inflation rate rose, but this is a very monthly, uh, it's a monthly uh, relatively new experimental index. Um, it was always going to be quite volatile. And so we shouldn't read too much into that volatility, particularly when that rise from 4.9 to 5.2 was driven by all, all by higher fuel prices. Uh, and we have seen similar increases in the US and Canada and elsewhere. Um, I think the, the key is that the underlying trend is still down. So I don't think that will tip the Reserve Bank over the line in terms of another rate hike, at least not in October. Uh, we also saw some retail sales figures up 0.2%. Given all the things that were positive for retail sales in August, you know, the Women's World Cup, which should have been positive for parts of uh, retailing, uh, particularly cafes and so on. Um, the afterpay day promotions, um, we had warmer weather than normal, which boosted clothing sales. Uh, we've got uh, population growth stronger than anything seen since the 1950s. And we've got still high inflation. All of those things would normally suggest that nominal retail sales growth should be a lot stronger. But in fact, it's actually going backwards. In real terms, we estimate over the last year, it's down 2%. If you allow for population growth, it's down 4.5%. Uh, so it's actually quite weak. Um, and then you've got that fall in uh, job vacancies down for the fifth quarter in a row, down 9% in the three months to August. All of those things add up to me to an economy which is slowing. Um, 
maybe not as fast as the Reserve Bank uh, was thinking a few weeks ago or a few months ago, um, but those things ebb and flow. But I think the broad trend is, is towards one of weakness, and that is consistent, again, with the Reserve Bank leaving rates on hold. Uh, what I thought was interesting with the retail sales figures as well was the fact that households drew down on their savings, I think, for the first time since we saw that tightening cycle in 2007. I guess that means the RBA is doing its job to an extent. Um, how much of that do you think is likely to continue when we start to see people needing to use savings to pay for the likes of electricity? Well, that's an interesting one. It is quite common when you go into tougher times for people to draw down their savings and their bank deposits. A lot of that money was built up through the pandemic um, and it's been referred to often or in the context of excess savings or buffers, as the Reserve Bank often puts it. Um, those buffers are still there, but they are starting to come down. Um, we have started to see uh, actual savings in bank deposits come down. Mind you, bank deposits never really went up as much. It was mainly people paying down their mortgages, which is where the big boost was. But it does look as if people are now being forced to run down their, their bank accounts to support retail sales, which, as you can see from that chart there, are actually pretty weak already. We've seen a quite a sharp slowdown. Now, lots of volatility in there distorted by the pandemic. But the picture to me that matters is that the level of retail sales has now gone flat since last October, November, um, given inflation over that period of 4 or 5%, and this is the retail price deflator, not the overall CPI, and very strong population growth, it's actually extremely weak. And just to maintain that weak level of consumer spending or retail sales, people are now actually having to dip into their their bank accounts. So that's telling you that things are getting pretty uh, desperate out there. Mm. Um, obviously, it could go further. This is what maybe the Reserve Bank wanted to see. Um, but the danger is that as long as um, uh, rates stay here, that, that there's still quite a lot more weakness to come through. Uh, my colleague, Diana Messina, you know, showed me a, a calculation of how far we were through the so-called fixed rate cliff. And right now, we're only 40% of the way through. There's still a long way to go there for people transition from 2% to 6 or 7% mortgage rates. So quite a lot of pain yet to come. Yeah. And that's assuming that the Reserve Bank doesn't raise rates further. Uh, Shane, let's move to the US because I mentioned at the top there that we could see this government shutdown if uh, we don't see an aversion, although they have come to an agreement at the 11th hour several times before. Just talk us through what you're <laughs> seeing in terms of the economic impact here. I know you've got a really interesting chart on uh, US growth under shutdowns. Well, historically, there's been something like 21 shutdowns since 1976. I think the first one was under President Gerald Ford. Um, typical duration, and they range from one day to 35 days. The longest one was at the end of 2018, start of 2019. Um, and the average duration has been about eight days. Uh, in recent times, you know, the last few decades, they've tended to be a little bit longer, uh, particularly that 35-day shutdown that occurred under President Trump. Um, both sides of politics normally suffer, and eventually the Republicans tend to suffer a little bit more in the eyes of the public. And that, of course, then leads to some sort of compromise which probably happened this time around again. But the history has been that you can see from that chart there that quarters with a shutdown have weaker growth than quarters without a shutdown. So the far left um, uh, bar, if you like, 2.3%, um, somewhat higher if you don't have a shutdown. So it, that's annualised numbers. So it knocks about 0.15% off um, quarterly growth if you have a shutdown. Uh, very rough calculation is something like each week you spent in a shutdown, it knocks about 0.1% of US GDP. 
then there's a bit of a makeup once the the shutdown ends and people get paid after having not been pa- getting paid, um, public service, uh, public sector workers and so on. So it is a drag. Historically, it's not necessarily a disaster for the U.S. economy, um, and in fact, it hasn't been. There is a bit more risk this time around because we're already uh, seeing very tight monetary conditions, and suddenly you start seeing uh, a big cutback in uh, government spending. Um, that could be a bit of a drag, particularly. If the solution to the shutdown is a big cut in government spending, which is obviously what the Republicans are angling for here. Mm. So I, I don't think it's a major factor. I think the rise in bond yields and oil prices, they're far more important. But it is it just is adding to the mix and adding to the riskiness around share markets at present, where valuations, particularly for US shares, are already quite stretched. All right, Shane, final quick question. What book are you reading this weekend from behind it on the bookshelf? I'm actually reading a fantasy novel. Uh, uh, I think uh, I forget what it's called, A Time of um, Blood or something like that. It's a, it's a fantasy novel, a bit like Tolkien, um, Time of Dread. I think it's uh, I think it's called. Right. Um, it's it's a great fantasy novel, one of those 600 page things. It's not in this part of the bookshelf. This is all the entertainment. It's, it's uh, further down. You me told back us here. last week you're looking further down too. I think your bookshelf is a very impressive Shane Oliver's <laughs> book club. That's what I'm demanding. All right, thank you so much for joining us once again. My pleasure. Next time, Juliet, I'll move down that way, down to the finance section, hopefully. Fabulous. <laughs> all right, have a good weekend, Shane Oliver from A. Okay, you too. See Juliet. All right, the Australian share market has closed for September. Let's have a look at what the leaders and laggards were. Uh, in terms of the leaders, a lot on the resources sector there, you've got Core Lithium rising by some 19%. Sierra Resources also looking really good, up by 12%. Sayona Mining had a gain of around 7%. West African Resources was up 4.4%, as was Lake Resources. I'm not seeing too much, you know, in terms of some company news on on those specific stocks but uh, we had been watching very closely what was happening in that lithium space there's been a lot of calls as well for the likes of boss energy to be an outperformer in the lithium and uranium space and Sierra uh, resources has been kind of holding around those levels for a little while there lake resources there at the gain of around one cent or 4.4 percent so be interesting to see how that all plays into September as well was there a little bit of of quarter end uh, positioning going on there. All right, let's have a look at the laggards as well and the stocks that were lower on the day. Uh, Helios down by 3.4%. Whitehaven Coal had a loss of 3.2%. Coronado Global Resources down 2.4%. ResMed, now this is interesting. I believe ResMed actually had uh, a bit of a pullback after some recent gains, but there's also these talks about some of the uh, weight loss drugs, the likes of Wigovi and Co. Not drawing any parallels here, but we know that ResMed has been involved in the sleep, sleep apnea space as well. Uh, There was quite a worrying uh, report coming through that some of those drugs have been linked to depression as well. Tabcorp down by 2% in the gaming space, a loss of around 2 cents. It finished at 95 cents. Uh, We're also looking at some of the weakness coming through from the likes of Star Entertainment today. It was set for its worst week in seven months on capital raising plans. It tapped $750 for the market this week. All right, let's have a look at small cap leaders and as well. In the small end of town, uh, Proteomics International Lab up some 
giant pan continental energy up 12.5%. And to the downside in the small caps, Brockman Mining down 13.8%, Coria off by almost 7%. Okay, let's have a look at what we are looking for overnight. It is going to be about that core PCE inflation data from the US. Is that going to move the needle for the Fed? And we're getting some inflation reads too from the Eurozone. PMIs will come out at some point when China decides they want to release them at some point over the weekend. Remember though, it is golden week, so equity markets uh, will be closed. And uh, just recapping the market action, the SIBO 200 index finishing September with a gain of five points or 0.4 of 1% for the day. And in terms of the ASX 200, it finished higher by four tenths of 1%. And I just want to quickly uh, bring up as well, if we've got a view of what the market actually did over the month of September, um, well, you know, can't get that quite now. I'm not fast enough with the typing, but virtually unchanged still over the last year to date. And of course, we'll bring you all those tidbits uh, continuing in Ausbiz. Uh, look out for our newsletter as well. But I've got to go join Danny. I hope she's got some um, champers for me because the last call is coming up next. Stay with us. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. 